0: We'll remain standing just for a moment to pray and uh, greet uh, again to welcome one another because we've got a couple of things we want to highlight for this month, especially this last Sunday of the month, August the 28th, is when we just want to celebrate the togetherness that God gives us as a church family by uh, with our church picnic, cookout, uh, water slide, water games. We'll set up for volleyball, and there's a new little uh, basketball goal out there, just a lot, just fun, just outdoor fun, indoor and outdoor eating, depends on what works best for you, we'll have the buffet in the inside and some tables inside and outside, but most of all, our goal is to is to really build that sense of family and community that is a part of what it means to share in the journey of following Jesus together, and we know there are so many different time pressures and circumstances in everybody's lives and as we pray one for another, um, there's a great encouragement that, that comes just from being together. Back table, there's a sign up sheet for uh, uh, Cookout Sunday, just to put something, a note, if you, whatever you can bring. And please feel free to choose whatever's best for you. And it helps us every time just if we know in advance. And then also, um, Christian Farmer Outreach is o- going to offer an opportunity for training. As we were talking last week about sharing the gospel with others, just the simplicity of giving the good news of Jesus Christ to others, what matters most is that it flows naturally as an overflow of our hearts and our lives, and the way they do it is just fun and connecting and natural, so we don't have a date set, we ask for some interest in a small group seminar for training, and there's a sign-up sheet just to give us your name. If you say, I'd love to do that sometime, you may not know exactly how the time would work out, but uh, Lou's going to be following up with uh, anybody interested in that. Let's take a moment just to reach out and greet and encourage others today as we share in this time together. did a couple of things real fast for you i don't want to miss you later just this is yours and this is just one idea of one thing i could use if you can do it for me sometime just as an idea yeah so (laughs) okay yeah hey good to see you hey there thanks for everybody thanks so much uh What a what a performance that was! Oh my, it was wonderful. I'm so glad to see you. And Sandy, is the word good from is the word from Morgan? Oh, I, I was going to stop to pray for little Mia. We'll pray, we'll pray for mommy. Right, right. Okay, gotcha. All right, okay, friends. Uh, thank you so much. Now it's time for Explorers and Pathfinders to uh, go on to their classes. Thanks everybody for teaching. I want to just say again, all of you. Jody, all the prep, Marcia, all your planning and prep, and each of you that teach, it's, it's truly more of a blessing than I can, I can even put into words. Don't you love these voices, these little ones, these boys and girls, and knowing what they receive is really priceless. We see it all the time, the, uh, what's happening in the world of children what children are being exposed to today, it seemed at one point in our culture that it was almost by accident. Now it almost seems on purpose there's an outright assault on the innocence of children. It is vicious. It is contis- continuous. It's radical. It's infiltrated educational st- establishments. It's, a fil- it's infiltrated corporate environments. Uh, everything from Disney to the toy store, and it is an increasingly urgent task for moms and dads to understand what it takes to preserve and bless and cultivate and nurture that tender heart toward God that comes when a child encounters the beauty and the wholesomeness of what is revealed throughout Scripture, and when it's age-appropriate, explain to children how God's love intersects our lives in so many wonderful ways and how the promise of God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ not only gives us a deep assurance of our souls, of our infinite value in the eyes of our Creator, but also it beautifies every other aspect of life. And I believe in Colossians chapter 4 that we get a glimpse into a framework for understanding part of this um, community vision that I mentioned a moment ago, and part of the part of the reason why, always, always, we want to prioritize the experience of children learning about Jesus. And that is that Colossians chapter four, where I left you last week as we look at various uh, snapshots of this um, of this epistle written by the apostle Paul under an an extended period of house arrest in Rome, where we see that the powerful, towering truths of the Lordship of Jesus that we've walked through in our study of Colossians have real-world impact upon relationships and shared responsibilities in life, including parenting and marriage and the workplace, as we saw two weeks ago, But now we get to a section in um, Colossians chapter 4 that shows us another aspect that I think of as a circle of companions, courageous companions who walked the path with the Apostle Paul in pursuing what it means to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus. And when we look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 6 through 11 to begin with, we get a picture of a truth that can help every one of us to value this encounter, this gathering of worshipers on Sunday morning, as well as to see the, the unique light in which Scripture shows us humble service. Now, I'd like to put it in this light initially that it sounds trite to say it, but I'm just going to repeat what is an obvious fact for all of us. God places infinite value on the gifts of every member of the body of Christ. Now, we know that's a fact. That's not a surprise to any of us. Many, Most of us in this sanctuary have said that hundreds of times. But when we find ourselves struggling with a sense of either direction or location or vocation or the unique circumstances we find ourselves in, it can be very tempting at times and it can be a part of the depression that many people struggle with in their Christian journey of what, does, what is the real value of what I'm doing? What does it really mean? In the bigger scheme of things, does it even matter if I do X, Y, Z, fill in the blank? So when we look at the courageous companions that are part of a cast of characters whose lives intersect the passionate pursuit of the Apostle Paul, not only to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus himself, but to extend the massive truth that God has removed the dividing wall of the barrier between Jew and Gentile and in the resurrection of Jesus has opened an avenue where men and women, boys and girls of every kindred, tribe, tongue, ethnicity under heaven find the same mighty saving relationship with the living God that not only gives them an assurance of heaven but regenerates who they are inside. And this truth, of course, is woven all through these prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, as well as, of course, the other writings of the Apostle Paul. So now, in your Bible, I'd like to ask you, I'm going to be reading in this section from the ESV, Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 6, beginning at verse 5, and we'll read just today through verse 11. And where we read in verse 5 that... Paul has prayed, asked them to pray that I may make this gospel clear, which is how I ought to speak, and that we might use our time to the best advantage, the best use of the time. Now, I want to highlight that one phrase when we read the rest of this section because it's a great frame for understanding how this cast of characters in Colossians 4 can signal the value of your work, of your calling, of your gift, of your mission in the body of Christ. Notice at the end of verse 5 that he uses this phrase, make the most of every opportunity. The ESV, make the best use of the time and uh, the King James Bible giving us that English version of a unique expression in the Greek, says redeeming the time because the days are evil, paralleling with Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14. Now these texts that deal with the time here are really interesting in light of what it tells us about the time and circumstances that each of us are to serve in. So, I want to read verse 6 through 11. As you see these names pop up here, um, then bear in mind that each of these, though mostly unknown to most readers or unfamiliar to most readers, are vivid examples of how God can place in us, in very unfavorable circumstances, a bright, bold vision. For serving our king. So again, I'm back into the text and I want to read Colossians 4, 6 through 11. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, with Tychicus, is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, They, that is Tychicus and Onesimus, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Now we get the picture. Paul is under house arrest. a a Sort of a a restrictive environment, difficulty and experience, but with a relative amount of freedom for some of his aides and associates to come and go. So he's preparing these, these letters that are going to go to Ephesians, to, to Ephesus, and to Colossae, and to Laodicea. And a very personal message to a former slave owner by the name of Philemon. And Tychicus and Onesimus are going to carry these letters. And these two men, and the others we'll look at here, give us clues about courage in order to make an impact in our world with confidence that yes, your part, your role in all of this matters. So notice at the end of verse nine that he says of Onesimus and Tycha, a very long journey. It's about twelve hundred and forty-two miles from where he's located under house arrest back to the city of Colossae. It's a major undertaking to travel that distance in ancient times with a combination of overland routes and boarding ships and finding their way all the way back over to that region called Asia Minor. And why are they going? Well, the end of verse 9 indicates a very personal aspect of this. He wants to inspire their courage. He wants to lift up the hearts of the believers in Colossae, and one of the ways he's doing it is not only by the written letter containing the priceless, eternal, inerrant truths of Almighty God that he's been entrusted with, but also that personal touch. And it's that personal touch that comes through this section of Colossians and helps us see how, in very practical ways, God was stirring confidence and courage in the hearts of people who had many reasons to be depressed, many reasons to feel overwhelmed by adversity or impossibilities. And then back into the text of Colossians. Now look at verse 10 and 11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, a classic example of of the name, even the name Jesus being used in in that time, that as many names today uh, can be commonly used differently than we might understand them. There are are, um, Hispanics who have used the name Jesus for a, a child. And so in the text, Paul explains he began to be called Justice among the believers, most likely because his name was so close to our Lord and Savior's name naturally. So it says, Jesus, who is called Justice... And it's an interesting take on these men in verse 11 that it says, These, that is, Justice and Aristarchus, are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And now note the last part of verse 11. They have been a comfort for me. So in this section of Colossians 4, I'd like to think about this in in terms of, in light of, a a need in the life of our church, a need in our lives as believers that's reflected in the instructions Paul has been giving them. But it is very essential to see how it's a mutual giving of courage and encouragement. And this is not just some back slap or bear hug at a potluck supper. This isn't just some casual kind of view of fellowship. Paul is in is um, elevating here Uh, the beauty that we can all have when we follow Christ of knowing there are other followers of Jesus and among our friends and companions in the kingdom of God, there is a God-given power for mutual encouragement. So he's applying the four things we saw last week about growing in our Christian faith Devote yourselves to prayer, stay alert with thanksgiving, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. And he's applying it in light of relationships that become increasingly precious when we realize how God uses the very time that you and I are living in. That is... Paul accents in that 5th and 6th verse that the reason we need wisdom to speak with grace and to add salt to our conversation and to be aware of the unique needs of others is that there's a timing in God. And the, the word redeeming the time refers is based on a verb based on the marketplace, but the verb itself has a unique form that implies we go into the marketplace of life and we purchase back a commodity that is so priceless. What is that commodity? Time. The implication is that we can wisely, through prayer and waiting upon God, not only make the most of our opportunities, but in some sense recapture what we feel we've lost. So it is a picture of the reality of life, because it is based on two different concepts for time in the Greek language. The Greek language had two different words for what we would call time. One would be chronos, chronological, what I think of as the ticking of the clock. Well, back in the analog days, now we're all digital, right? But the ticking of the clock, chronological, and chronos time simply has to do with a sequence of events. However, in this text and in Ephesians 5.14, the parallel text, the word the apostle uses is kairos. And it essentially, at its root, has the meaning of a space that is ripe. A ripe moment. A set time An appointed time, and in an applicable way, it seems often the way the Apostle Paul uses it is that it is looking at life's challenges and seeing by faith, as Christ leads and guides our steps, how to strategically use our time. Another way of saying that Christ himself is the Lord of time, and he has given us certain moments that we could easily miss unless we're daily saying, Lord, I know that you can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that I could ask or think according to the power that is working in me. I know that I can't see the entire span of life. I can't see the horizon clearly. Give me grace to see not only how to use my chronological time, but how to tap into your kairos, into your, that ripe moment of opportunity, and then with a cast of characters in this interesting epistle, the Apostle Paul then shows us how in so many ways these people, unlikely courageous champions in many ways, these people have been instrumental. They're mentioned in Scripture, even if they're just mentioned once, like Jesus who is called Justice, who was among those that came out of a Jewish background and were walking with Jesus, walking with Paul in the ministry to the Gentile world. And I'm, I'm struck as I think of each of these, and we're going to do a little flashpoint on them, that, uh, that their lives and what they teach us is similar to a, a truth that we can derive from a biblical fact of being called. It is clear from Romans chapter 8, verse 29, when the Bible says, Every follower of the Lord Jesus shares in this wonderful truth, and that is that we are called according to an eternal purpose. The calling of Christ in your life means, literally, he says, God works all things together for good to those who love God and who are the called, the called according to his purpose. And when we Plug that right into Ephesians 1, verse 12 and 13, where the Bible says, "You became a part of this panorama of the called, when you put your trust in Christ and believe the seed of the gospel that came to you, and in Colossians chapter two, verse six and seven, we've seen that that planting of that seed of being called of Christ is compared to both a living organism, a tree that is planted by streams of living water, growing deep roots and flourishing in whatever environment it must dwell in, and then the principle of being built up. Colossians 2 verse 7 says being rooted and built up in him. So when we put all of this together, we see that being called of Christ introduces all of us to an assurance that God is Lord of our time and that the giver of life is also the Lord of what? The kairos the kairos moment the the ripe opportunity that we all need to know is there for us and so i like the way that um, frederick buchner illustrated this truth in the practicality of what it means in the life of an average believer because we all get stu- we stumble on this a lot in that when we hear about uh, being mightily used of God and the value that God puts on gifts, and even as pastors will often do, as I have done so many countless times, talked about the value of the gifts of every individual in the body of Christ, and yet sometimes we miss the fact that we feel like if my circumstances were different, my gift could really flourish, but my circumstances don't match my gift. It, and uh, I like this insight that Frederick Buchner gives to this when he says, to understand the kairos of God in terms of how we are engaging our gifts for God in the right timing and the right circumstances. He says all of us have the opportunity to see how our life can be an instrument of blessing to people that we have yet to know or or to understand. And he explains it as finding the calling of Christ in your gift is where our deepest gladness and the world's hunger meets. I especially like the emphasis here on the fact that we do not know the world's hunger like we need to know. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit to help show us that, to help make that vivid for us. And the text gives us ten examples from verse 6 down through verse 20 of people, excuse me, down through verse 17. It gives us ten examples of people who I believe fulfill what Buechner described there, where our deepest gladness in God is. The delight that we find in the Lord intersects the hunger for God, often unseen, we understand, but the hunger for God that is in the hearts of people around us. Now, this is a quick thumbnail sketch of an overview of these people, and one of the things that strikes me about it is it reminds me of so many times in the life of the church, in all of our lives, in our Christian lives, we we can't see how valuable what we're doing or called to do is when we're in the midst of it. But one of the benefits of this snapshot to me of 10 different people that are highlighted in the writing of the Apostle Paul, some only mention this one time in Scripture, but they're reminders to us of a sparkling vitality that comes in understanding what it means to walk with Christ. And I want to focus on this left column first, the first five, the unsung heroes, and the second five I put under the category of uncharted waters because when we look at uh, that list next week, it opens for me an avenue of understanding about the power of prayer that I think is the perfect way to conclude all of the snapshots of, uh, of Colossians. And so, I first want to ask you to think about this guy named Tychicus. Now, this is a great example of something, as I said earlier, about being called of God doesn't often just seem as sensational or as uh, dramatic or even as opportune as we might like for it to be. I remember reading about a couple that had been out um, house hunting in New England a few years ago, and they uh, Their realtor had taken them to an old home, historic home, that had been in the same family since before the Revolutionary War, and on the mantle above the fireplace was a classic Revolutionary War-era musket. And in the conversation between the realtor and the, the home buyers that were looking, they were asking questions about the history of this family. And they just casually asked the question, well, did anybody in, in your uh, family ever, the, the person that owned the house in those days, did they use the musket? And and they began to tell a story about um, a great-great-great-grandfather who, who was young at that time and, and had dreamed about joining in the effort for the Revolutionary War. And yet he was disappointed when he found out that uh, that the mustering of troops would not involve any kind of special um, clothing, any kind of special uniform. They didn't have any shiny medals. There was nothing about becoming a part of that militia that appealed to his uh, yearning for grandeur. And so the old musket stayed above the fireplace. And it reminded me of a lot of believers that uh, it's like when I get the right circumstances, when, I get, when they give me the right uniform, when they put the right metal on my chest, when, it's, when the circumstances are right, then I'm going to grab my musket and run. But here's a story of a guy who missed an incredible era of service because it just didn't quite look like what he had envisioned being a hero in war would look like. Well, let me tell you that as we think of these people, and again, I've just kind of used my imagination on the ones that we know next to nothing about, and I've extrapolated from those we know more about, like Onesimus and, of course, Luke the historian and these others. But I think it's notable, if you just take them as a group, to think about it like this, that one of the things that this passage leaves with all of us is the fact, the reminder, that there is a great unseen adventure of following Jesus that matches your gift today. God, who is Lord of the kairos, Lord of the opportune moment, has not passed you by. When you think about... uh, Tychicus, for example, this first guy, he's called, there are three things, if you go back into the text here at Galatians 4, 7, there are three things that are said about Tychicus. And they are interconnected, obviously, but distinct in some interesting ways. First of all, Tychicus was a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. And in verse 8, he says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. One writer described how we might envision Tychicus like this, that the apostle cared for all of his brethren in the ministry and in his travels. But there were those there were those who were dear to him because of their sacrifice and service to him and to the glory of God. These were men and women to whom Paul would refresh his spirit in those dark hours on the journey or imprisonments. He knew there were those brothers and sisters that cared for his state and to whom he could depend on to encourage him. Tychicus and Paul shared many stories as they traveled around the Roman Empire, establishing churches, ministering to the needy, debating the issues of the day, and helping one another keep their spirits alive kingdom of Christ. People like Tychicus are important because they're examples of continuous faithfulness in the Christian journey. But there's more than that. In the very words that Paul uses to describe him, he starts with accenting the love that they had as brothers, but then he uses the word, two different words for servant. He says that he was a faithful servant, a fellow and a fellow minister. Now, the two different words are related and yet distinct. One is he uses the word diaconus, meaning a servant who takes to a task with great energy. In other words, we might say that the fellow servant, that the, that the task that he held was something that he brought close to his heart because of the value that it was to the one that he served alongside. The task orientation is one of the things that some people in the family of God don't esteem enough. They think, oh, I'm just a practical person. I'm just a job person. I'm just a, I'm just a um, technician, or I repair things, or I... Um, hands-on projects. And this is one of many examples in Scripture that shows us the infinite value of that. That God puts your practical skills in light of a mission that lifts other people closer to Christ. The other word is more is the word called doulos in the Greek. And, and it's a word that has, really has to do with a particular kind of service. So when we think of doulos, we might think of it like this, that the doulos is a word often translated slave, and it signals that Tychicus was not only very diligent about his tasks for God, but he did it from a heart of relating and responding to Jesus. In fact, the word doulos is used in Scripture to parallel in the New Testament a beautiful Old Testament picture of a person who was temporarily a slave, but their master was about to let them go free. And under the law of Moses, there was a special provision because a lot of those forms of slavery were what we would call indentured servitude not necessarily a harsh slavery though it's not something that we would consider a a valid way to uh, in a social environment and yet it served a domestic purpose in those cultures and God put a specific provision in the law that said that someone who served his master faithfully over a period of time that the master may choose to give them their freedom. But if that servant says, no, I now have a family, I'm a part of this master's household, I want to stay with my master, I want to give myself willingly and freely to be a part of his enterprise, they would take him to the doorpost of the community, to the gate of the community where the elders gave Decisions and and uh, worked with their people, and they would make him what was called a bond slave, and this is the word that Paul uses for his good friend Tychicus, and essentially tells us that the value that Tychicus brought to his life, like these others courageous companions, was that it elevates encouragement in church life. It elevates the value of a specific mission and so I want to ask you to think about Tychicus and Onesimus, these two guys for a few moments. Think about them like this, that these guys had an opportunity that is incredibly inspiring. Tychicus was the key courier for the very letters that came from the pen of the Apostle Paul, and who among the f- travelers was called to be his companion, a former slave by the name of Onesimus. A courier and a companion, as Paul is completing this epistle to the Colossians, a courier and a companion joined together in both a bond of, of Active serving alongside the Apostle Paul for many years, and in the case of Onesimus, having experienced an astounding journey to find what it meant to belong to Christ. Now, we have very few facts. We are sparsely populated with facts, so we put the pieces together with an amazing fact understanding that comes from Scripture, and that is, first of all, that in Colossae, over in that region of the world now called Turkey, this guy was a slave. He left his servanthood under a man named Philemon, and he traveled to Rome. It was, Rome was a magnet for people to go find a new life and to find opportunity. And while he was in Rome, he's brought into contact with people who are doing exactly what we're all called to do, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people around us. And one thing led to another, and this runaway slave, this fugitive slave, makes his way to some of the gatherings where people came to sit and listen to Paul day after day talking about the kingdom of God. Onesimus got saved. Onesimus came to Christ. Onesimus experienced an incredible journey, and ended up being, over a period of time, becoming one of the trusted companions of the Apostle Paul. Just think of the trajectory of his journey. First, he was owned by someone else. Next, he escaped, went through extensive travels, found the good news of Jesus Christ in a distant land, was brought into an astounding apprenticeship, the privilege of learning to follow Jesus directly at the side and as a servant to the apostle Paul. When Paul had said, follow me as I follow Christ, a scripture of 1 Corinthians 11 that applies to all of us, Onesimus got to do that in person. He got to follow Paul as fo- Paul follows Christ, but the, but the conclusion of the story is what's most fascinating to me. After all of that, he's given with Tychicus the most priceless cargo imaginable, and that was to carry these very epistles that we've been digging into. Onesimus, a former slave, being entrusted with Tychicus the beloved brother, the faithful minister, the fellow servant, the man who had proven to Paul not only in synagogues and churches and and the highways and byways, but Tychicus had endured the shipwreck out on the Mediterranean Sea with Paul where they all thought they were going to die. And now what does God do in the kairos moment of opportunity? He joins together Tychicus, a most beloved and proven loyal aid to the apostle alongside a slave who's found Christ and has grown as a believer and is from the very city where one of these letters is now being directed back it's it's as if Onesimus becomes a living object lesson of what it means for all of us to be used by God in places and in times we would never have expected and would have had absolutely no way to prepare for. Well, these glimpses, I hope, for Tychicus and Onesimus, and the hint that comes from those that we are not even familiar with, that we have just sparse information, shows us something that's a sparkling reality about this church and about life in Christ that I hope will go away with just cherishing. And that is... God is not looking for the remarkably and uh, celebrated, gifted people who have marked out a path for themselves and made it in life in a way that they've built their own success. No, God is is moving as he did by the Sea of Galilee when he called two fishermen and said, Come and follow me. He's moving into churches like this. He's moving into our environment. He's looking for the Tychicus type, the the proven, long-term, faithful, loyal servant who seeks the joy of just walking alongside the leader that God has put in his heart to support. And at the same time, those who would have thought, I would never even qualify to even be in the audience of such an apostle, Onesimus. former slave. And just like them, God is reaching into liberty, into this church, into our community, into our lives, and he's signaling for us there are kairos moments of opportunity to serve God that we'll find when we keep that open heart of worship and expectancy before him. So I want to pray as we close today to think about just these, just, just these two out of ten different people that we might say, Lord, help us this day to embrace to our lives and our hearts that Jesus is the Lord of the kairos, the, the ripe, the strategic time of opportunity. It's true for people sitting here listening to me now, and some might be listening in a Facebook live stream and thinking about, something that's profoundly disappointing in your life, something that doesn't feel like it matches up, it doesn't look like the gift and the yearning and the dream in your heart matches anything you see in your immediate environment. Never doubt the sovereign, mighty, redemptive grace of our living Savior. If he could bring an indentured servant who has left his master's employ on a journey of 1,242 miles across difficult terrain, across multiple sailing voyages, and into a bustling city in a, wor- in a world that is revolves around the idolizing of the Caesar. And in that city, in that environment, The word of the Lord draws him into the very presence of the apostle Paul and at his tutelage he grows as a a thriving and passionate follower of Jesus and he becomes a part of the missionary team that takes the priceless gift of the scriptures back to the very city from which he had fled including a letter to his former master to bring a heart reconciliation between Onesimus and Philemon. Lord, I pray that in these quick flashes of examples, we might see that there are an infinite number of details in our lives that for us may look like the backside of a, of a, of a um, cross-stitch picture where all the loose threads make no sense, but you are the one who shows us the real picture of following you, walking by faith with you. I feel like there's some present tense application for someone here who may have struggled to know, how can I really, how can I really get fresh motivation in my, even in my daily walk with God right now? And I want to encourage you to lay hold of the Lordship of Jesus, the Lord over your time, as well as the giver of your gifts. We thank you for it, Father. We praise you. We worship you in Jesus' name.